Okay, today I would like to talk about King in relation to the sacred symbol of it, but also how he's emerged as the kind of like a pope, right? That's how you consider it. And I want to relate that to the cultural emergent narrative order that you see in a jest of Robin Hood. Yeah, so to go before we go into this, we need to sort of depoliticize the word king. Um, Americans understand it as tyrant, right? That's the king was a tyrant, the King George. But in terms of the context in England, what emerges is from absolute king uh, originally, what emerges is a sort of is a symbolic monarch. It represents our sovereignty. So a king is like an, is the national personification, a living symbol of the inner sovereignty, the inner spirit, our freedom as freeborn Englishmen and women above the state, right? Not not of the state in England. And that's very different. This is the, the lone place where it's the, the spiritual and temporal power, or was both of those things. That doesn't exist anywhere else, right? So this, the king in England as a cultural figure is the Pope. So just think of him as the Pope, as a cultural, spiritual figure. Look at it without the person under the crown, the actual individual. Just imagine in your mind for a second the visage of, a, of King, whatever, King George, right? Take the human face away and just have it like a shadowed face. You can't see the individual features. You know there's a human there, but it's like dark. Just imagine a dark shadow over the face and the crown and all the vestments and everything. That's the King. That's the spirit, like sort of spirit of the king. Elizabeth should have taken a different name, right? It was a tradition that emerged because you're supposed to put aside the individual ego, just to put aside the the person that had an identity before, at least symbolically, uh, so that people can can project their own, see their own sovereignty through you. Right, so I'll just tell the part of the story of Robin Hood in the jest of Robin Hood that's relevant here. So Robin Hood, right, he's been fighting the sheriff, um, and winning against the sheriff across the land, everyone obviously starts to talk about the Greenwood. Like it's they're outlaws. They are outlaws, and what they're doing is they are fighting like injustice, the tyranny that has emerged in the state, which is which is the sheriff of Nottingham and the papacy, the corrupt papacy, right? So and these are godly men. These are moral men, and it's constantly referred to that in the way they're saying it. But anyway, the sheriff is constantly going to the king, saying, "Give me more powers. Give me something to stop this guy. This is terrible. What he's done to me and this." And the king keeps saying, like. Like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, this is your responsibility. Stop asking me for things. This is not, you know, handle it. It's your, your whatever. And meanwhile, the king's obviously thinking, like, who is this chap? I don't know. Mm, Robin Hood keeps coming up. I, perhaps I need to investigate this. But no, but all serious, like, it's a really important part of the story is that the king realizes and goes out and goes, what? And what he decides to do is go find this Robin Hood because he keeps getting brought up by the sheriff, by the papacy. So what's going on, he knows what's roughly what these people get up to, right, is that these bureaucrats can be. And wants to investigate and find out for himself, right? And this is like a core pattern of action that is, is supposed to occur. And so what he does is go out in disguise. He's not the king then. Goes out to the forest, tracks down Robin Hood. And what happens is the same thing happens as Robin does to everyone else, is that he stops them in the forest and tests them, right, with sort of riddles, to see what their metal is, to judge them and their behavior, and to see if they've, like, you know, a lot of the papacy like, had thousands of coins and would lie about it, and they've sort of stolen that from the people, like, unfairly, right? He's checking the fairness of the person he's dealing with constantly. And so... Uh, the king sort of basically passes the test and then Robin Hood basically invites them to come back to the camp and they do. So the king and a few of the people that are with him, again, he's in secret. No one knows he's that. He's just a, a regular knight. And so they ask him, why didn't you participate? Uh, participate? They're having a, an archery competition amongst all the men. 
right? And so the king is observing. King is assessing him as much as Robin Hood is bringing this guy in to test him. Obviously, he's found that these chaps are all right. Come and be a part of our archery competition. So each of them are, f are firing their, uh, uh, doing the archery and the archery practice. And if you miss, you get a tap on the head, right? So guy shoots, uh, hits the target. Kind of guy misses, then Robin Hood's turn comes up, right? And the king is watching keenly at the different behaviors, what's going on. He's there to study to find out his man, to see the character of the guy, right? And so Robin Hood then eventually misses, and then Robin Hood bends down his head and uh, to take the same hit, right? So the rules of the game, the same rules of the game apply to Robin Hood, um, the local fairness, right? And the king sees that keenly, and then he, uh, Robin Hood says, oh, would you like to shoot? And the king says, yes, and goes and shoots. And then he misses too. And the king, in this crucial moment, does the same thing and takes the hit on the back of the head, right? And then you see there, the, and then like the king is keenly aware that, ah, this, this Robin Hood chap, he's one of, man of the right stamp. I recognize the sense of the commons in Robin here is that he's saying himself first among peers, the king, right? Right, Robin shows he's a first among peers and so does the king. And then the king reveals who he is to everyone. Obviously, they're quite shocked, but uh, the king then invites Robin Hood to, into the kingdom, realizing the metal of the man that he's dealing with. He's observed him, recognizing the patterns of behavior that are in moral continuity that emerge as our values, like these in our behavioral hierarchy, right? This is all implicit, though, right? This is all implicit in that they recognize they're both Englishmen. He's recognized this is, you could call it like the inverse of tyranny. It's anti-tyranny, right? It's, it's not arbitrary. So this, the way he governs and the way he treats his own men is unarbitrary leadership. Your men are shouldermen. They're, they're not, you're not above them. You're just the first among them. You're their leader, but first among them. So there's that mutual recognition of that. And then the king reincorporates him, brings him into the kingdom, offers him to be, we want you all who are outlaws in this greenwood to come in. Robin agrees and, uh, and uh, to do his, to come and do his duties to help him and uh, to help him with whatever he's learned in his outlawness as he has learned and to help the kingdom sort of heal right the problems the tyrannies that are emerging to help the kingdom get rid of those tyrannies and so that bit represents the prime duty of of the sovereign is to do that as separate from the state but i'll go into that but i'll just tell a final part of the story is that eventually robin hood when his sort of duty is done he leaves the um leaves the service, and eventually he's, in another story, he's poisoned and dies. But the final thing he does is shoot an arrow towards the greenwood and, and lands in the greenwood, and that's like, that's where I am to be buried, right? And that shows that it's a cycle, is that Robin Hood reincorporated, always goes back to the greenwood, and that's where he's waiting to reemerge endlessly, endlessly. And the king needs to do the same thing that's in this pattern is to lift up that people have deemed an outlaw, go find the truth, go out cloaked, or, or have many people to investigate. Yes, but you can see that is the responsibility. It's, it's, it's a two-pronged thing. The king needs to act. Robin Hood needs to rise up and act. And the king needs to act above the state. And so you see, in the middle part is the state and everything that's operating. And these two sides, the common and Robin Hood, and the emergence of Robin Hood from that, are both above and below. And they share the same thing, though. And what emerges out of them, the same pattern of behavior, is beautiful in that way. There is this mutual recognition of the qualities that make the ideal, right? Like you see in the crown, I think I mentioned this earlier, that you see in the crown this idea, oh, they present the ideal. No, they wear the vestments that are symbols of the ideal. Their responsibility is to find out constantly the representation 
of the ideal and to be in touch with the ideal as it is represented in us. They are to come to us as a whole and find the Robin Hood, right? And they should be in communion with that, right? They should be, that's the path to do it, to be doing that, or else you're not a representative. Like, yes, you should have the hereditary connection to moral order, that's great, and be taught from young what the moral order is. But part of your research is to be investigating the sense of the commons on the ground, not in the media, right? You need feelers, you need to be going out in the cloak, right? Or use that as a metaphor, as you may, to investigate what real people are talking about, right? What real people are talking about when no one's watching, where there's no social media. I'm talking like in the north. I'm not like the cosmopolitans in London. I mean going out to the country and, and all the different parts of people where the real people are and to observe them. Seeing the truth, cutting through the truth, understanding the sense of the commons. And then you bring that and you see, and then the king can see the truth, also the ideal that he needs to represent and the things he needs to bring up that reinforces the ideal. Because if the king isn't meeting that sense of the commons, patterns of behavior of the ideal, patterns of behavior in the hierarchy that emerge out of the tradition, that emerge out of the narrative order, if he's not fitting in with that king pattern of action, all implicit, remember, if he's not representing that and acting like a tyrant, you have this unrest, this, the Robin Hood comes up too. So that's where these two archetypes unite, the Robin Hood and the king himself, is that one must go down and one must go up in terms of resisting the thing in the middle. The king needs to bypass the state, uh, the sheriff, the papacy, and go down and see, and they must meet each other in the middle. So they're kind of both kind of heroic archetypes as representations of... of of the implicit ideal in your unconscious as it's linked to the narrative order and your behaviors in general, like the behavioral hierarchy is in you, the behavioral procedural hierarchy, that's what values are. They are a hierarchy of the most valued behaviors as they're connected to our greatest heroes. So that's how the narrative is related to the king himself and what he does and how it is, it's mapped out this emergent stuff that's come out of the old tradition in an evolutionary manner that these ballads do is that they are they are updated in a Bayesian-like way where when they're imitated on the ground implicitly and when they're retold in the pubs, slightly changed based on the truth on the ground. In all the taverns, right, you have people on the ground that sort of imitate one piece of Robin's behavior or one piece of the king's behavior, and that isolated truth comes together over time as they slightly alter the story. Everyone slightly changes the story based on the individual truths of the, the behaviors they imitate implicitly imitate or even on purpose they imitate and they come back to tell the story oh of course that's that's true to life right so together it makes a true hero even if you think it's a myth hero same with king arthur true hero emerges as a construction of the constituent pieces of true procedures right things that were tried on the ground and turned out to be true and uh the other one I'd like to read is, um, let me just uh, spin the pages through here, A Charm. So I'll read this. Take of English earth as much as either hand may rightly clutch. In the taking of it breathe, prayer for all who lie beneath. Right, the people that come from the past, the heroes of the past. Not the great nor well bespoke, but the mere uncounted folk, of whose life and death is none, report or lamentation. Lay that earth upon thy heart, and thy sickness shall depart. 
sickness of the mind, find the truth, right? Look down. It shall be sweetened and make whole, fevered breath and festered soul. It shall mightily restrain, over busied hand and brain. It shall ease thy mortal strife, gainest the immortal woe of life, till thyself restored shall prove by what grace the heavens do move. Seeing the truth down at the bottom, seeing reality, right? You see it in this. Take of English flowers these, springful face primroses, summer's wild, wide-hearted rose, autumn's wallflower of the close, and thy darkness to illume, winter's bee-thronged ivy bloom, seek and serve them where they bide, from candlemas to Christmas tide. For these simples use aright, can restore a failing sight, right? These shall cleanse and purify, webbed an inward-turning eye. These shall show thee treasure hid, thy familiar fields amid, and reveal which is thy need. Every man a king indeed. Right. How bloody relevant is that? These shall cleanse and purify, webbed an inward turning eye. These shall show thee treasure hid, thy familiar fields amid, and reveal which is thy need. Every man a king indeed. It will reveal to you the nature of the inner, the king spirit, right? The king and every man, your sovereignty as the king is a representative of going out into the land, keeping your feet on the ground, reveals to you what's important, what your chief values are in the cultivated land in continuity with that normative order and the narrative order. And the cycle of doing that is what the king is very supposed to do himself, himself. And you do that and it reveals in you the symbol of that, your sovereignty. Looking at, like, imagine a hobbit village, like looking at the cultivated, beautiful land. This is the place we've created. This is what's valuable. How easily you could lose it. All your little desire, all your ego desires of grandeur, right? And seeing what, ah, oh, it's this place we made. It could be gone in an instant, right? Like we're all, we all have the king spirit. Here it's represented and it's for me to enjoy and walk out, to roam, the right to roam, right? And my darkness to illume, winter's bee-thronged ivy bloom, seek and serve them where they bide from candlemas to Christmas tide. That's a practice. <laughs> go out into nature, right? And the thing that's interesting about England and part of the Englishness of England, right, is the land isn't just nature. It's not wild nature. It's not going out just to see. You're looking at the cultivated land, right, that over centuries has been shaped by us, by our way, by our patterns of action related to our normative order, related to our narrative order. It's like an Englishman tends his garden. An Englishman must cultivate his estate, Right as a sort of categorical imperative that represents this estate inner, your estate, as in your body, your virtual, your virtual engine, your, your practices that make you virtuous, that's cultivating your estate. But also you see it in the building of a garden, that's sort of cultivating your little inner part of the cultivated land you see in the countryside. It's a little garden, right? It's a little order. It represents our values, our way. So going out and communing with it can refresh you to what matters, not just as raw nature, but shaped nature, what matters in terms of what we've created as represented in the land, right? I just mean this culturally, right? But it is shaped, it is represented symbolically in the shaped rolling hills, which probably used to have trees all over them. The rolling hills, the pathways, the little the stone walls made from stone in the place. It's cultivated land, right? 
and you're communing with that and the past. And as Kipling is saying, mere uncounted folk, right, that lie beneath, they're in that. You can get stuff from Wildland too, going out into the wild. There's a type of communion in that too, but there's, this is a special type. Until thyself restored shall prove by what grace the heavens do move. Right, because the grace is in that, right? The value of how it was formed is in it. That it's nested in it, just like it's nested in the language. And as that's that's why it's so important that's uh, that's protected. That's protected. Those places are you don't just go rummaging through the countryside and building new cosmopolitan cities like like LA, right? And so the place is just like a, it really represents the worst of <laughs> the worst of America in the sense like destroying all the old buildings. Obviously, there was earthquakes, but yeah, like, yeah, like that's why everyone drives cars everywhere, no walks anywhere. There's nothing worth seeing when you're walking. Maybe in some suburbs, like not to insult people that live in LA, but come on, it's a shithole. <laughs> Fuck. These shall show thee treasure hid, thy familiar fields amid. Treasure hid, right? They reveal the truth going out into the soil. This is so connected to everything we've been talking about with Robin Hood and that cycle. Right, going down to keep your feet on the ground, with culturally, not just physically, but culturally, the grounded with the real needs of all the communities around you in the place that you live, but also in the country you live in as well. well every man a king indeed. Thank you, Kipling, again, for another great work that is imbued with the cultural understanding. Yeah, so I might talk about a few more symbols too that represent, okay, king as pope, right? King as cultural figure. The temporal sword and the spiritual sword, sacred symbols of the realm, right? So understanding him as a pope as it was a separation of the church in England, it's not exactly Protestant. Henry VIII did this, but it's connected to Arthur, as, I, as I've talked about before. Separates, he makes the, ch the king the head of the church, right? And so Henry's a temporal and spiritual power at that time. They still have, the idea is right, is the whole, the Catholic Church holds, all the rituals were, are taken and used. It's not like Protestantism. It's like you still have a hierarchy, right? You've got a hierarchy, it's different. So it's our moral continuity. Power is so divided and pulled away to, par to Parliament, temporal power, right? So now you see, you've got what's emerged is he is a spiritual figure, that's a spiritual sword. It becomes less about no ultimate power but consent so the state wants to pass a law he's the first among peers but the last to consent we're the first to consent when we pick a borough representative imbued with your sovereignty and your power and it goes up again to the next and then the, the gentlemen of england in parliament are debating things and they consent with each other but we're not actively involved in decisions apart from the two-party system as one presents what they want to do the king is the last though is that he isn't either really he gives advice but he isn't either but so we're sort of the same he's the he looks to us and goes okay well they were promised this he's looking to the commons his responsibility is to make sure the state isn't becoming corrupt and it's representative of the truth on the ground of the sense of the commons. In continuity though, that's why he's a living symbol and his line goes back. Uh, I know most people look at the uh, ceremonies and go, oh, these people, they're so, they're so up themselves with their dams and their jewels. But no, like, <laughs> it's a representative of the importance of your sovereignty, right? That's why the ceremonies happen. Like, we don't know so much about it because it's implicit, right? But what this is saying, look how important this is. I want to repeat this again. What these sacred symbols represent is the sacredness of these 
inner values amongst everyone. And that's why we turn up to these ceremonies implicitly without really fully understanding it, waving the flags and turning up to these ceremonies and seeing the Queen's Garden, seeing the grenadiers do their thing and saluting, right? And doing their thing and the monarch doing all these things. It's not pomp. It's like, yeah, it's called pomp. But no, it's, it's a sacred practice that is sp supposed to be and hopefully can be, again, a reminder of your own sovereignty and how that represents the kind of money we're all willing to spend to say how important it is, how glorious it is. Yeah, glorious. It's like it exudes the power of that value because it's created everything in the country. It's created everything we've made, right? Of course we should. And it's so important because it's kept the place free. This, this freeborn Englishman, the resistance of tyranny. Because without it, like, when, well, let's go back to slavery then. Okay, that sounds good. Let's be communists. Let's become slaves. Let's have the state do everything. No. And the king should understand that too, is that, ah, let the people be sovereign. Let the people be. Right? It's sacred. So what do you do with things that are sacred? You cover them in the vestments, the symbols, as gold and diamonds are symbols, right? Before we said these things are valuable, gold signifies consciousness. It signifies the divine, the sun, right? The the celestial bodies, right? The diamonds signify stars. And you can see that in the ceremony with uh, a crowning, like when Elizabeth was crowned, for instance. Like they're twinkling. They're sort of twinkling like celestial, um, all the different, um, like the lords and such have their different types of crowns, the lesser crowns, and the different royals have their sort of lesser crowns, right? And it's like a kind of pantheon. It harkens back to this polytheism, like Marduk and uh, in the Greek system, back in the day where you had them come together and eventually the emergence of the one god which is connected to the king himself right the one is crowned or oh, the symbol you can see in that ceremony of elizabeth anyway is very powerful if you just watch it again and put aside the idea of the figure of like oh how lovely it must be to be uh look at this ridiculous ceremony and you know these people celebrating themselves but like no, no no it's not that's not what's going on if you can silence that and watch it in a different way you can be awakened to the symbol Oh, yeah. And another thing that's interesting about this first among peers idea between the king and Robin is it's all done in the context of the bow. So they both use the bow. It's really interesting is that the bow was used as a symbol of war, that when the duty was needed, when we when the king couldn't have the protection of the realm, his chief duty couldn't do it himself when he went out to all the people and told them, of course, to train with the longbow once once a week. What they did was take around a bow a strong bow, and that was the symbol of like power, right? It's the symbol of power, is the bow that every man has, right? Symbol of power, the bow, the strong bow. They take around with the proclamation of, ah, we're being invaded. We need everyone to assemble, right? With their weapon, their right, their arms, right? Their right to bear arms, anyone? King uses the bow, and it's that's the way that they recognize their mutual behavioral patterns that recognize, ah, this guy is, these are... Like Englishmen, not out outlaws, not revolutionaries, not communists. <laughs> These are Englishmen, like uh, pursuing the, the right behaviour. The power in every man, the way they act, as if they are as like think about how we criticise our politicians, right? That's as if we have a bow in every hand, right? We we do that as if the tyrant can't just come and silence us because we've had a bow in every hand, and in the narrative order, the king has one too. But that articulates, too, the changing of, of the king himself to become a representation of our sovereignty. So an American is like a... Like, American is an American king. The king is in every man. 
The king is a representative of that. An American is, is a king man without a symbol to represent it. Like the president changes every time, right? And, um, but yeah, when I say king spirit, I sh uh, again, be clear, like the pattern of behavior that is inspirited in you, it's a pattern of behavior that's like mimetically absorbed, that is the spirit, because people are how they act, right? So it is the spirit of, of the king archetype, is that pattern of behavior. It's the uh, moral impulse. It, it's when behaviors are acted on you and you have these resonant behaviors against them, like fighting tyranny, when you have those tyrant behaviors, that, that's part of it, right? And your response behaviors, it's like certain things in the psyche that are at different levels of intensity when different, when stimulus come up, when stimulus patterns come up, this pattern that's in the psyche that this group of people has rises up and you act. It is an evil to think ill of it. That is the garter, like the garter, the order of the garter, right? Which is the knightly order that uh, all the, that the king founded a long, long time ago. It's based on this event where the garter falls off a woman's leg and I'm like, oh, how bad is that, right? That's a low thing for that to happen. And the king recognizes this, right? And takes it and says, it's an evil to think ill of it, right? And raises it up. So that's a symbol of his duty to do that. To see when, when to see the truth is that the king going down to raise up a Robin Hood is what, what was low, I make high by investigating down there, right? Like in filth it is found, like the, the truth. That's what I do and raise them up with all my secret symbols that have me at, as the highest value, right? And that's where you get all these chivalrous titles. They're just, what are they? Honorable titles where people go, that sounds like a wank, right? No, the king grabs, is supposed to, as a cultural figure, grab down into to find the Robin Hoods, right? And to award them those, to raise them up. Now this new thing, this thing that was thought ill, because you are king, you are the top, uh, the symbol of the top of the hierarchy. Everyone then suddenly goes, ah, I see, we accept this. Uh, we in incorporate it into the realm, like Robin Hood, right? Reincorporation of Robin Hood, who was an outlaw. A good uh, modern example of it might be Nigel Farage, not to politicize it, all right? He's a Robin Hood, he was an outlaw, for right? They made him an outlaw. He did his thing, uh, his Robin Hood and his Merry Men to make the change with the sense of the commons because he's understanding what's going on, on the ground. But the idea of what should have happened, which didn't happen, right? So it's kind of left unsaid. There's still a problem here is he wasn't properly reincorporated into the kingdom. It turns out to be important that the things they do and the practices that are represented in the narratives that emerge from it turn out to be pretty important that we keep those things if we want the system that emerge from them, right? Because people fail to recognize that it emerges out of a narrative order, not just Magna Carta. It's like, oh, look, running me. Okay, that's just an explication, an explication of what is already in the unconscious, what's already going on in the narrative, the emergent narrative that you are unaware of in the implicit processes, the implicit practices, especially in a place like this in England, where it is a place that things are done because they're done, because of precedent, right? Well, you see it in pubs too, right? I think this is represented, like, and it's also connected to a practice that people should, should think about doing. I've talked about the pub before, but that's where everyone becomes Robin Hood and perhaps uses their bow against each other in their jokes, in their barbs. They're launching barbs at each other. But people from high, the practice that you can do is, it's like that anonymity in the pub, as you all wear your Lincoln green. You all have a bow in the pub. You come from high, low, and that's where you all kind of experience the sense of the commons. You all debate together. You all form a 
a community understand you outsource your cognition, right? It's combined cognition to decide the local borough issues, for instance. So you kind of, a practice that you might think of doing is being like the king, is going down and everyone is a king of something, right? Is, but it should always be amongst the, the common people. And there's always someone not below you, but in a different socioeconomic, cultural area, whatever, you should know. Go and be among them, right? Of course he goes and does that. He goes to these pubs to understand the sense of the commons, right? They see it in him and he sees it in them. It's not that he's a king. It's that they're all kings in some manner and they go there to experience what's common amongst them with the inhibitions lowered when you drink, right? Like I've mentioned before. So that's a practice, not to be drinking all the time, but going there to experience that, to see the truth on the ground because you want to be keeping doing that. Perhaps you're a businessman. You find a way to do the same thing a regular practice once a month of doing the same thing, if finding out what's going on anonymous without the hierarchy there. Like Pixar did a similar thing. They had a way of organizing where they could find out ideas from people lower in the hierarchy that would normally perhaps be afraid to do it. I think they used a round desk. I mean, that's just a simple corporate idea, but this idea of finding out the truth on the ground is a practice to see through bullshit, hierarchical bullshit part of our values to, to, to do that. So there are two practices you could think about doing. And it's kind of stoic in a way, too. The practice of taking away the meaning of being king. Ah, yes. We should be in practices. We should have practices that keep us as the constant beginner, like the king, as he goes down into, into Greenwood as an anonymous person without being an expert and learning something new, being a constant beginner. That's heroic too. Like if you're at a certain level, you should always go down and be the be the Robin Hood and also connect to the Stoics, I think, too, with removing the meaning. If you can take away the meaning that's given to you as especially as someone that's looked up to as a symbol so much, right? That could be that can make you deluded very quickly to be worshipped just for that, or to, you know, with have all these people always looking at you. You want to remove that, remove the vestiges of it. And that's represented in the pub too. I really think when you go there, it's an expectation that you're not better than anyone at the pub. It doesn't matter. And you'll be, even if you're famous, people will still give you shit. Like people might call it tall poppy syndrome, but I think that is representative. It mislabeled, it's Robin Hood syndrome. It's what it is. It's not a syndrome, it's Robin Hood, a good thing. You need a, an arena where you can experience that, where you can practice that you can practice the removal of your professional hierarchical authority, lower the inhibitions so you don't have those pretense, the removal of pretense to see the truth. When people make fun of you, you sort of back and forth of that, you see the truth about yourself too, right? You don't deserve anyone's respect until you've earned it, right? Say you're, even when you're famous, people, they, they love it. Is that, oh, there's this expectation, oh, they know me, I don't have to sell myself or do anything like that, I don't have to present anything. They already know my reputation, whatever. That's not a good thing, and they need to surround themselves with people that are uh, willing to cut them down, that are, don't want anything from them. You want the barbs, you want the Robin Hood, and also where you can experience it and give it back, because that's where the truth emerges from, right? You could almost look at comedians are Robin Hoods. They're popularized Robin Hoods, and, and of course it happens in America, the original art form. I mean, that's in the drama already. Like, so I suppose also a pub culture might be a comedy club culture, on the local scale, though, not on the national, where you've got this big famous person that comes in. But where you have those comedians, they're telling the truth. They make fun of the crowd. Like, hopefully, I mean, I think it's better when it's turned on itself, when people do it in a pub together. Um, so you don't have, it's not this audience situation, but that could be considered an emergent change of the same type of values, right? Not the jester, but the Robin Hood. 
And you can see, like, comedians become Robin Hoods, actually. It's where they become famous in of themselves, right? The pathway is already in the narrative order for that. They start off in the pubs, and they can actually become a Robin Hood. So this is Kipling's The King's Job. Once upon a time was a king anxious to understand what was the wisest thing a man could do for his land. Most of the population hurried to answer the question, each with a long oration, each with a new suggestion. They interrupted his meals. He wasn't safe in his bed from them. They hung around his neck and heels, and at last his majesty fled from them. He put on a leper's cloak. People leave lepers alone. Out of the window he broke and abdicated his throne. All the rapturous day, while his court and his minsters mourned him, he danced on his own highway till his own policeman warned him. Gay and cheerful he ran, lepers don't cheer as a rule, till he found a philosopher man teaching an infant school. The windows were open wide, the king sat down on his grass, the head and the children inside reciting, our king is an arse. The king popped in his head, some people would call this treason, but I think you're right, he said. Will you kindly give me a reason? Lepers in school are rare as kings with lepers dress on. The class didn't stop or stare, it calmly went on with the lesson. The wisest thing we suppose that a man can do for his land is the work that lies under his nose with the tools that lie under his hand. The king whipped off his cloak and stood in his crown before him, like Robin Hood, right? The king takes off his cloak, reveals that he goes in anonymously so he can find out the truth, and said, My dear little folk, ex all parvorelorum, which is Latin for children no more than the grown-ups would credit, you have shown me the road to go, and I propose to treat it. Back to his kingdom he ran and issued a proclamation. Let every living man return to his occupation. Then he explained to the mob that cheered his palace round it, I've been to look for a job, and heaven be praised, I've found it. <laughs> so that quite well represents, right, this idea. And it's, it's, I would say the advice in this is really in what he's doing, going in anonymously to find out the sense of the commons. Not so much the thing that says the wisest thing that we suppose that a man can do for his land is the work, is the work that lies under his nose with the tools that lie under his hand. And that's true, though, in the sense, though, of, okay, what are the practices that are, what's the work under my nose? Sort out your own, like, it's like Peterson says, right? Clean up your room, sort yourself out before you sort out the world. And actually, that you will sort out the world. By sorting yourself out, you do sort out the world in a way. Is that you become virtuous because your practices are put into play. Is that you enact the practices that give you meaning, that, that help you work yourself out, that help you see the truth, like these practices that I've been talking about. You enact these practices, you see the truth, and then you might be able to help the land out, right? And you do it by going in secret, in filth that is found, like a leper, like this says, right? In filth that is found, as the alchemist said. In filth that is found, dress up like a leper to find out the truth on the ground without your hierarchy here. And this poem represents that very, very well indeed. But that's the advice you can get from this. Not so much the why. It's both, right? Of course, like that is a wisdom to say that you've got work under you that actually will sort out the problems that you see in the society around you. Do that first. Uh, and use the tools that lie under your hand too, right? Use what you have. You, there's, there's potential in things around you that you don't see, you don't understand. If you work it out, if you order it in the golden mean, that golden holy mean, right? If you do that, like if you find that balance, that rationality, if you ration correctly, if you ration your practices correctly, you find the potential around you that you haven't seen, the resources around you, that's a powerful thing. Of course, there's going to be an evolutionary benefit to the culture that does that, so not only are individuals trying to do that, but 
there's a pathway for an archetypal way of the monarch doing that so the people in power if they follow this narrative anyway the evolutionary benefit is that kingdom is seen through bullshit and seeing innovations based on the continuity connected to the, the, the normative continuity make changes based on innovation on the ground whereas if you don't find that that culture is going to do much better than other ones isn't it we need the emergent things that tell us we need to change bottom up right we need bottom up and the top needs to look at the bottom you had communism, everything's from the top. That's why they've never been great innovators. That's why the Chinese steal from us all the time, right? That place is going to have a massive benefit against other places. They're going to see stuff sooner that's, than authoritarian states. It might take longer to respond in a war situation, but when they get going, you're in big trouble, man, because everyone has a constituent piece of it, that king spirit, right? Everyone's got a constituent piece. The freeborn have that. And they'll fight for it once they get going. Like once you know the existential threat, there's this whole pathway for like, you'll lose. Like they'll outlast you. Um, so that's the evolutionary benefit. That's the utility of it on a wider scale. And of course, the utility if you did this on a, on a smaller scale is seen through bullshit on a constant basis. Is that you are your egos kept in check? Think about that. That keeping grounded. What does that mean? Like you know, he's not. Like he's not, he has not inflated ego. It stops your ego inflating. Your confidence in your own abilities is reflecting reality because you want to see reality. And that helps you do that. You're, you're outsourcing it to other people. Well, out of touch, that's the idea. If you're, you don't want to be out of touch, do you? You want to know what's going on. The king should be doing that. And we should all be doing that on an individual basis to remain in touch with the basic needs of people also as a reminder, even if we become extremely wealthy or whatever, you don't have those same needs. Why do you need to know? Well, you need to know because you could lose it all. That's why you need to know. That's why you need to keep your feet on the ground because it could disappear in a second. A war could happen. You could get arrested and put in jail, lose everything. Just your community should go out to the areas that are perhaps that don't have the same wealth as you. See what that is. Keep your feet on the ground. The same existential problems happen. So to be a constant reminder of that, it's going to put it in context of what really matters, right? So keeping your feet on the ground is a way of doing that. And when you die as well, it's like, it's all just, they're just objects. Once you have your basic needs met, you better know what's valuable because you lose your son tomorrow. Better know what's valuable because you could lose your whole culture tomorrow. So you better find out what is valuable in that culture. You, what, all the things that we so easily chuck away that are crucial of keeping the tyrant at bay. You better find that stuff out before it's too late, before it doesn't exist, before we forget, before we have double think, before we have communists cutting out history so we can't see it anymore. It is still a living symbol. There is still a living monarch. It could be dead. It could be killed like the French one. There's time now, right? Now's the hour to investigate this thing and find out, get meaning from it. But yeah, that's it. That's everything I have to say today. Um, Go to locals and be a part of this emergent uh, community. And hopefully we can have more researchers testing these practices that we see in works like this. Uh, subscribe and, and be a part of this walled garden.